0: Let's think about that uncloudy day that's coming before us. No more worry, no more pain, where we will be able to behold his beauty. Amen. How many can you really celebrate that? That's what this is. This is really what this is all about. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, choir. You may be seated. Just wanted to know that song. That is my mom's all-time favorite song. So every time I hear it, I always think about Mom, and she loves that song. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. How's everyone doing this morning? Oh, let me ask that one more time. How is everybody doing? Yeah. Aren't you just glad to see each other and just to be around? And how many of you enjoyed yesterday, the warmth and being out and enjoying today? Amen, amen. This morning, we are going to um, go into part two of our series. We started it last week, and um, I promised you that this week we were going to talk about what the world would be like had Adam and Eve not sinned, but we got several questions, and I also promised you because I wanted to address whatever questions that you may have, and so... We got a number of questions come in. So guess what? Today I'm dealing with the questions. Is that all right? And we'll get to the other one on next week. And what we will try to do is as questions come in, we'll just incorporate them in the service so I did get some other questions, but they will fit better with the message on next week. So we will just go in that direction. So we're just going a little different from what we normally do. Um, but this is the time of teaching, if you will. And like I said, feel free to ask questions, send them. Don't think any question is. Don't think any question. Will, I don't need to ask because somebody else beside you want to know. Okay, and then that way we can at least attempt to address them. Let us pray before we get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you. We bless you, God, for this day that you have allowed us to see. We thank you, God, on this day that. We see and we give you thanksgiving and we give you glory and we give you honor. We thank you, God, for having, having the opportunity to be able to come in here in this sanctuary and to worship you and to, to praise your holy name. And now, God, as we come to this time of teaching, dear Father, I pray for a fresh anointing upon this message because there are so many of us. We have so many questions. And, Father, we know many of those questions. uh, As the old folks said, we will just understand it by and by. We won't know what they are here, but, God, we just pray that our faith... We'll just hold on to you regardless of the answers or no answers, but knowing that you have all of the answers and all we have to do is trust you. So now, God, I'm praying for a teaching anointing right now in the name of Jesus. Prepare the hearts of your listeners, dear Father, and I pray that these words will sink deep into their spirits, into their souls. So we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, I just want to thank everyone who have asked some questions and some of the questions came to me before we even left out of the sanctuary, which was a good thing. And, um, and so today as we're going forward, uh, we have three major ones, three major questions that we just want to hit on on today. Um, I just want to also share with you that in an attempt to base all the questions, please understand Pastor K don't know all the answers, okay? So I'm just going to put that out there so everybody understand uh, where we are. Um, but what we do is um, we research. We research the thoughts of theologians. We, we research, of course, um, to see what Bible scholars have to say on a certain topic. Uh, we also get into our own understanding of the scriptures. But above all, what we do is trust as Jesus has promised us that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truths. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if questions pop up that I don't know the answer to, or the scriptures doesn't tell us clearly, I will let you know that, okay? And I would just say that's too deep. We'll find out by and by, all right? <laughs> Unless the Lord reveals it at another time. So, um, but anyway, um, I hope you will, um, are enjoying it. And um, again, um, please, please, I look forward to you um, sending in questions as they come. So here was um, one of the big questions that hit me several times last week. Several times last week. Will I still be married to my spouse in heaven? (laughs) Followed by, what happens if I've been married before and which spouse will I be with? So I, I don't know if those questions were coming to me because they just couldn't imagine going through eternity without their mates, or it came to me because they were like, do I have another way out of this relationship? I didn't quite know which way it might was coming, um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, um, that's kind of how it is because um, there are many loving marriages, of course, that usually can deal with the part of, of until death do us part. They deal with that better they believe and know that they're going to meet their spouse in heaven. So we're going to turn to the Word, but before we turn to the Word, I just want to share with you how we sometimes approach questions of this nature, because this is addressed in the Bible, how we sometimes approach questions of this nature. And the first thing is, you start with what you already know about God. We're going to start with what we already know what we already know that we know about God. And the reason that I suggest that we make this approach first is because, it, again, it is not always spelled out in Scripture what it is that we are specifically looking for. Um, but at the same time, it's not our attempt to try to put the spin on the Scripture, you know, because sometimes we might want to spin the Scripture to make it fit with what we're comfortable with um, or to fit within our own um, hopes, beliefs, and so forth. So it's not for that purpose, but we're going to start with what is it that we know about God? What is it that we know that is true about God? And what we know about God, what we know that you, everyone in here already knows, is that God is relational. God is relational. And we see that in the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one in three. They are in a continual relationship with each other. God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. and God the Father puts, um, puts, put, um, God, put God the Son, Jesus, in a position of authority where he has authority over everything and, and everyone. Jesus, in turn, glorifies the Father, and then you have the Holy Spirit. That's the power. That's the power source, if you will. And so they operate in one complete and divine harmony. And so when God said... Let us make man in our own image. God then created woman from man. And he created woman from man. Again, as you know, the scripture explained that he created man. He formed him out of the dust of the earth. But he took woman. He created her from what? From the rear, from out of the man. We're talking relational. We're talking relational. Because when you look at the Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity, and you look at the institution of marriage that God created, they are, supposed to, they, they are a reflection, if you will, of both. Because in a marriage, you're supposed to operate as what? One. Also, when we look at the Holy... Um, as the scripture, it says, that when God created man from woman, we were naked and unashamed, with nothing to hide, demonstrating again in God the relationships. And so as we look at that, the same way with the Trinity, each person in a marriage, each person in the marriage makes room within themselves for the other. That's where the two become one. You make room in, each, in yourself for the other. There, there is no division, even though you're different. The Holy Trinity, again, the Father, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, what? They're different. They have different operations. A husband and wife have a different operation. They're totally equal, but different. Everybody follow me? Totally equal, but different, but operate as one, husband and wife, totally different, but equal, but operate as one, one in the spirit. And so he goes on and he teaches, and we teach that there's no division. There's no division in the Trinity. There's no division it should be in marriage. And so we base what we understand about God and relationship and what we understand about marriage, as far as what it may look like possibly in heaven, possibly in heaven. And that is that What will exist in heaven, as we shared in the scriptures in last week, that what will exist in heaven, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them. Therefore, we can rightly conclude that in heaven, there are going to be relationships. We can rightly conclude that in heaven, we will not only enjoy relationship with God, but we're going to enjoy relationship with each other. We can also rightly conclude, because we shared it last week, that you're still going to know your mate in heaven. The question is whether or not you're going to be married to him. Some people are holding their breath. <laughs> so, 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 whether it's going to be, so what we do know is that however it is in heaven, because it is heaven... Because it is heaven, there's going to be a level of intimacy. There's not going to be anything to hide. There's not going to be an embarrassment. The relationship is going, to be, is going to far exceed anything that we can even comprehend here on earth. So if you got a good thing going here on earth, just imagine. You can't even begin to imagine how good that thing is going to be in heaven. All right? It's beyond everything anything that you can imagine. So, all right. So now let's see what the scripture is going to say so Matthew 22 looking at the 23rd through the 30th verse I'm coming from the NIV version those of you who are note takers I suggested you might want to jot them down because even as we are giving scriptures you should be also going home and reviewing those scriptures yourself okay everybody all right with that I need y'all to talk back to me okay thank you very much all right So, here we go. The same day, the Sadducees, who said there is no resurrection, came to him, that is, came to Jesus with the question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offsprings for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. One married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. All right, now we already know that I don't operate like I ran here right now, okay? Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> the same thing happened to the second and third brother. Right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her, Jesus replied, "Old woman, I'm not with y'all. No. All right, here we go. Sorry about that. All right." Jesus replied, um, "You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven." Then he goes on to said to say. Um, When the dead rise, they will neither... Oh, pardon. Hold up. My technology is going a little bit too fast. Um, Don't pay attention to the scripture right now. Okay. (laughs) I couldn't back it up, so... Don't look at that right now. All right, so... Jesus replied, you are an error because you are not... You do not know the scripture or the power of God... And at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. All right, so we're gonna, first, we we're gonna, let's unpack this passage. First of all, the Sadducees were asking the question, but the truth of the matter is they really were not concerned about whether or not there was going to be marriage in heaven. Let's put that out there. They posed the question in an attempt to trap Jesus, if you will, to pr- prove their belief that there's no such thing as a resurrection. So they figured if they could trap Jesus into that. That you know Jesus was going to come up and say, it, and, and to prove their point. So the question again was to trap Jesus, but Jesus responded with they, that they did not only know the scriptures, but he also says to them that you didn't even know the power of God, because his thing was if they knew God's word, they would know the scriptures. Uh, that teach that the re- of the resurrection and that God has the power to raise people from the dead they would have known that so that's why Jesus said what he said he said you don't even know the scripture and you don't even know the power of God and now you asking me this question because you're trying to prove that you are right as opposed to coming to seek truth you're trying to prove your position anybody, anybody ever been around somebody who just tried to prove their point? You know what I mean? They're trying to prove their point, don't know the truth, not asking the truth, making assumptions, and they're going to try to get you to to buy into their stuff. So that's what the Sadducees were trying to do. And so, you know, Jesus just came back, and, you know, he was like, let me, you know, Jesus just read through all of that. And let me tell you the reason why you're really asking me this question. And let me give you the really the answer. The answer is you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus can be petty. That's the way I could put it. <laughs> I mean, you know, he just called it what it is. You know what I mean? He just go ahead and hurt your little feelings and keep it moving. <laughs> so, anyway, so here in the um, Gospel of Matthew, um, it reads as though, if you read it, it reads as though Jesus does not give a definitive answer. If you read it, we go back in it. He doesn't really give a definitive answer. If you will, because if you listen to his response, it can raise some more questions for us. And, for example, is Jesus um, answering the question according to the culture of that time, when marriages were arranged? Um, definitely, according to that time, when you passing on the wife goes to the brother, we know that was in that time. Was he answering? The, was he answering the question um, in, within that context? Um, again. Was he answering the question when marriages were not, when marriages were arranged, and not necessarily couples were marrying out of love? Because back then, a lot of times married couples were coming together not because they loved each other; they were coming together for different reasons. Okay? Or is Jesus saying those who are married in this life uh, will remain married in the afterlife, but after the resurrection, those who are not married will stay unmarried? So it, it which which it raises questions. Uh, about which way he's possibly coming from in the book of Matthew. However, if you cross-reference it and move over to Mark, now you can look at Mark. Now you can look at Mark. Oh man, you asked me to go back. Are you controlling me? I'm controlling me. I got Mark, okay. I got too much going on up here. Buttons over here, buttons over here. This got too much going on. Okay, so we got Mark. So we look over at Mark. To me, it comes very clear. He says, When the dead rise, they will neither marry, nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So so in Mark, he comes clear. Then we look over in Luke. I got it that time, right? Come on and give me a hand. So over in Luke 20, 34 and 35, Jesus said, the people of those of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So, there's your answer. Ain't going to be no weddings up in heaven. (laughs) However... It doesn't mean that a husband and wife won't be together. It also doesn't mean, of course, if it doesn't mean they won't be together, they're going to know each other. So we're looking at the perfection of relationship, we can... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? We can possibly conclude, because we still don't know, that husband and wives will still be there. And so then the question comes up, well, suppose I've been married before. Well, another way to look at that, if all things are well in heaven, then God is going to put you, you're going to be with the one who you're supposed to be with. Right? And it's still going to be all good. Somebody out there saying, saying, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go back to the one I had. I'm just imagining some of the questions that might be running through minds right there. That's all. <laughs> so, so in heaven, so it doesn't mean that you won't have a close relationship. It doesn't mean you're going you're gonna to be, you, you, it, you're, gonna know, you're definitely going to know each other. And it's a good likelihood. We can pretty much assume because he is relational, you're going to be with the one. You know, you're going to still be with the one. Not married necessarily, not married in that sense. Not married in that sense, because remember this, the church, the believers, we are the bride of Christ. So the marriage in heaven will be to Jesus Christ. That's who we married to right? And it's going to be all good. We're going to be married to him because we're going to see Jesus in all of his beauty and all of his glory. And we're going to be happy and we're going to be satisfied with those we love. And we're not going to feel any kind of disappointment. We're not going to feel any kind of way because we're in the presence of Jesus and we are married to the one Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom who's coming back to get us. And we are waiting, the church, we are the bride of Christ. Okay? We are the bride of Christ. And one of these days, again, we're going to get into what the symbolism of a wedding is concerned because we're going to get back and talk about that. But we are the bride of Christ. So the marriage, the only marriage in heaven, according to scripture, is what? Us being married to Jesus Christ. Can the church say amen? amen? Amen. So, and it's going to be all well. It's going to be better than we can even begin to imagine. So everything is going to be good. So God has that and he, we got us covered. So I hope everybody's we ask that question, you're good with that. All right? Okay. So um, let's move to our next question. Question two. Pastor Kay, if we are cremated, how will our earthly bodies be transformed into heavenly bodies? So that question popped up when, of course, when we were talking last week. Uh, about how God will raise us up and will bring us um, into heaven, and it's also a question that comes up quite frequently, anyway, among Christians. And it's a really, it's a really great question because a lot of Christians really don't believe in cremation. And I'm saying Christians don't. Believe, I'm saying some Christians don't believe in, in cremation. Um, some people believe is that it's against God's will, and they usually um, base that off of First Corinthians fifteen forty two and forty three. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground and when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. That's what a lot of people base that off of. However, in basing it off of, sometimes we base doctrine off of assumptions. or We base theology off of assumptions, okay? However, the Bible does not say one way or the other which is the most appropriate way to dispose of a body. doesn't say at all. Um, And the other thing of it is, is God is able to bring us back from wherever. I mean, we created from the dust. So if he did it once, I, I think he can do it again. You know? So... You know, and it, 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 that's not going to be an issue, you know. You keep in mind the people who were lost in 9-11, whose bodies were completely obliterated, you know. Or, or people, you think about the, um, the folks who came over, the, the slaves who came over in the middle passage, and some jumped to their death. There was, they, didn't, they weren't embalmed, you know, and the scripture said he will call them from the sea. You know, so, God, no matter what, we were formed from dust, we came from dust, and from dust we shall return, so it's going to be all good, and however, God's going to orchestrate all of that, he's going to orchestrate it, our bodies going to come back, and we're going to come back, and he's going to take our souls, and he's going to reunite it with our glorified bodies, and then we're going up into heaven and going to live forever. So we're going to be all right on that one. Mark, Mark, 17, Mark, 13, 20, 20, Mark 13 and 27 tells us how it will happen. And he says, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. So no matter where you are, whether you're buried or cremated, doesn't matter where you are, how scattered you may be, God can bring it all back together again. He had Ezekiel standing down and calling about them dry bones. Can these dry bones live? And them bones were spread all over the place. But every bone knew how to connect to the right bone and the right body. Then to get back, we serve an awesome God, a magnificent God. So we don't have to worry about that. So if you decide you want to be cremated, go for it. It is cheaper than being buried. I just want to throw that out there. (laughs) It is. It's cheaper. Okay? So however you decide that you want to go. So, again, the Bible does not get into all of that. All right, so we're moving right along. Oh, I could have had more questions. But anyway, my last question. Um, Question three. It said, explain again Ecclesiastes 3.11, where it says he has put eternity in their hearts. That came out of last week's message. Again, um, he has put eternity in our hearts. And what we were talking about last week was... How, um, how even though we do not, we come into the world not knowing God, but God puts something in us that desire to seek him. And so they just wanted to elaborate on that particular question. So um, let's look at a couple of scriptures. And then I think the best way for me to kind of deal with this is maybe kind of try to do a demonstration, because I think it, I, can, I can somewhat demonstrate a little bit better. And keep in mind, when I'm doing this demonstration, uh, it's based off of what we're our understanding of Scripture, but we're just going to use our spiritual imagination, okay? I'm not saying this exactly what happens. We're just going to kind of use our spiritual imagination. Is that good? Okay. So, here are a couple of Scriptures. Jeremiah 1 and 5. We already know this one, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now, meditate on that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before, look at the before, the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb. I knew you. Romans 8, Romans eight twenty nine. 29. For those whom he foreknew, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Jeremiah 1 and 5. We're going back again. Before I formed you in the womb, he did what? Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, he what? Y'all, can we say that with confidence? <laughs> For those whom he foreknew, he what? So, so God knew you and I before there was a before. Y'all got that? Before there was a before, he knew you. He knew us. He knew all about us. You and I were in God before he created creation. Think about it. He said, before the foundation, that's the scripture, God always knew you. He always knew us. There was never a time when God did not know you. You didn't know you. (laughs) But God always knew us. God always knew who we were. We we, we were not created reality in the sense of how we know it, but we were always a reality to God. We were always a reality to God. Now that of course brings up another question. Well, when was our souls created? Was our souls created at the time the angels, when God created all of the angels, and He just uh, he, when it was our appointed time to come to heaven, come to earth, He just got your soul and put you in, or was our souls put into us uh, at the time of conception? We don't know. All you know is you got a soul, and it's eternal. How it happened, we don't know. That okay? So. Don't get wrapped up on that one. But the thing of it is, is that God always knew, knew you. I need you to marinate on that a minute. He always knew you. There wasn't a time that he didn't. So if you really think about it, if God always knew us before the foundation of the world, you were on God's mind when he was creating the world. He knew you before the foundations? Hallelujah. Do we believe the scriptures to be true? Yeah. He always knew you. He always knew who you were. He, he got, God just operated with us. So at a divine appointed time, what God did was, and keep in mind, God works with our decisions because we have what? Will. God has given to us freedom of choice. We have free will. So sometimes we make decisions and choices that were outside of God's word and what God wants, but at the same time, God has a way of operating with those decisions that we make and still get us to where he wants us to go. We should just give the Lord a praise for the fact that he operates with our own stuff, good, bad, or indifferent, that he still operates with us. So, so at an appointed time, so everyone in here, All of us in here, we came into being at an appointed time. God appointed us at a specific time. He already knew us, and he sent us in whatever year we were born in, whatever month, whatever day. We were here in the age that we're in for a reason. I've heard folks talk, you know what? I think God didn't bring me up doing slavery because I wouldn't have survived. That's why God didn't bring you up doing slavery. That's why you're here now. Because you would have made it. Somebody was going to get killed. Y'all was gonna, not going to make it. So he didn't, you did not have the disposition. <laughs> you know you weren't going to make it. <laughs> so you come at the time where he appointed you to come. And when you come at the time, at, at that particular time that, that he shapes. So he knits our souls. So he knits us because we are formed in our mother's womb. And so God shapes us, and while he's shaping us, he's putting unto us purpose. And he's putting our bodies together, and he's bringing our souls together, and he's putting it in our mother's womb. And when he puts it in us and brings put it, put, um, bring it in, into us, he's also putting into us a yearning for truth. A yearning for truth. How many times you may have asked yourself or heard someone say, Why am I here? what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Well, what am I supposed to be doing? Because like, like well, what I'm doing right now is not working. I'm yearning for truth. He puts that, he places that, that into us. So regardless, if you're an atheist, one who doesn't believe that a God exists, whether you're agnostics, oh, maybe it's a God, maybe there isn't a God, or whether, whatever you may be, everyone seeks truth, and comes to some kind of conclusion about the existence of God. Everyone going to have a theology about God, even if they don't believe in God. If you don't believe about God, that's your theology. That is your theology. You believe that he doesn't exist. So it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if you are Buddhist or Muslim or whoever you are. You have come to a conclusion about who God is. So we are born not knowing from where we're coming from. And not knowing where we're going. So this is what I'm going to try to demonstrate. Y'all bear with me, okay? Um, Come here, Erica. So. I think you come with me. So anyway. God knew you. Before the foundations of the earth. He always knew you. You were always a reality to God. Always a reality to him. So even when he was shaping the earth, the reality of you was with him. You're not conscious of it, of course, but the reality of you was with him. Well, not a time he didn't know who you were. So at an appointed time, He then sends you out, you now being born, into the world. But you don't have any, you don't know God. No one comes into the world knowing God, right? Word tells us we were what, born in what? Born into sin. So she goes out, just keep going. Stop. Keep going. All right, you can stop right there. You can stop right there. Go on over by the window. Go by the window. So now when God sends when 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 we when God sends us into the world at that point in time, again, He walks with our own decisions and circumstances. Some of us landed in a family with both a mom and a daddy. Some of us landed in a family with just a single parent. Some of us landed in a family, but it was an adoptive family. Some of us landed in a family where, um, Jesus Christ was taught. Okay. And I just want to put a plug in there. That's why we are so big on, on, on baby dedications and teaching the parent. Cause the baby dedication isn't about the baby. It's about the parent. So some people land in a family and they're, they're taught about Jesus Christ. They grow up in it. Okay, so they, they have some knowledge that there is a Christ. There's God. Then there are some people who may not have grown up in an environment like that. Whether they grew up in an environment knowing who Jesus is or not, there's still something in them wanting to know for themselves what is truth. Those of us who grew up with Christian parents in a Christian home, you still wanted to know. Well, what's my purpose? I see what you're doing, but what's my purpose? So there's that yearning inside of us, and God puts that yearning inside of us because he wants us to seek the truth. He is the truth. Now, you may say, well, why doesn't he just put inside of us who he is? Because God wants us to seek him because we want to be with him. He doesn't want us to come to him because he has so wired us that we have to come back to him. But he wants us to come to him because we are looking for truth and we are looking for him. So now, she's out there in the world. Be in the world, Erica, be in the world. I see you Why you, you know, you're doing a whole lot of acting these days, but anyway. <laughs> so anyway, she's out there. But there's still something nudging inside of her. it has got to be a better way. I can't be living life like this. Why, did God, why am I in this situation? If, if there is a God, why am I going through what I'm going through? I'm a child. Why didn't God come and help me? I prayed and asked him to come to me, but I haven't heard from him. So we out there, but there's still this thing in them that's saying, I I, I know there's got to be something greater, got to be something better than what's going on in my life. So now as they're out there, God, again, he's not going to leave you out there on your own. He's going to start putting people around you. So even if you were not born in a family that taught Jesus Christ, there's going to be somebody on your job. There's going to be a friend. There's going to be somebody around you that's going to be speaking some words into you. That's going to be saying something about God. They might even invite you to church or whatever. And, and, and he's, he's putting people around. But again, you got free will. So you can answer and pay attention or not. But God is always planting seeds because God understands that's my child out there I need my child to find her way back home (laughs) do you get where I'm going but I want her to come back because she wants to come back I want her to come back because she has sought, she sought me and she wanted to draw near to me. I want her to come back for that reason, not because she has to. So he will put people around you and speak, start to speaking truth. And even when you're in your worst situation, God will have somebody there. Even in your worst situation when you should have been dead, God still save you. Because even though you were over, he was away. He still save you because he wants you to come to truth. And so you wonder why that thing didn't kill you when it should have killed you. It didn't kill you because he was still waiting for you to get the truth because he has purpose in you. My mic is on. Because he has purpose for you. So he will still put stuff around. So so she starts, oh, maybe there is something better than me she starts drawing just a little bit closer you know what maybe I will go to church I'm just going to try it out because I don't know you know I'm not too sure about this thing because see I've been hurt and offended and God to be honest with you if you do exist I kind of blame you oh now I'm hit on something that right thing but she's still there she comes in She still comes in a little closer. She's coming in a little closer. Because now she's hearing more about this God. Now she decides, let me try to study this for myself. God is still pulling. He's still pulling. Hold on one minute. He's still pulling. He's still putting the word out there for her to come to understand who he is. Who he is. As she's out there, she then comes into a recognition of who God is. Now she comes in. I know there's someone greater than me. And that great person is no other than Jesus Christ. So I have decided I'm going to give my life back to Jesus Christ. I'm coming back home where I belong. So she comes back cause she now knows who Jesus Christ is. She knows God through Jesus Christ. Her soul has been saved. Now here's the thing. Now that she knows whose she is, now she got to learn who she is. And the only way you can learn who, who you are is you got to first know whose you are. So now that she knows that God is my father, Jesus Christ is my big brother. The Holy Spirit is my power. I can do all things through Jesus Christ. I understand that now. I have an understanding uh, that he created me, that, that I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. I now understand that he knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. Now she has that understanding. Now here's the other trick. Now she has to discover her purpose. Because you don't know your purpose until you know who you belong to. And sometimes we are, we are, we are operating in a different level or a different way because we have the wrong purpose in our mind. Somebody else dumps something else in our spirit, namely the enemy, because the enemy does not want you to ever to discover your purpose. Okay? So now here's the thing. She now has discovered her purpose. She knows why God sent her out. So now I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he's sending her down. You do your work. You do the work that I have assigned you to do. You have a specific purpose. You have a destiny. There's something I want you to do in particular to advance my kingdom, whatever that may be. She knows what it is. And so she's operating. And now she's carrying it out. And she's fulfilling God's will. Now, the work is done. God lets her enjoy the fruit of her labor. But then at for point, he says, now it's time for you to really come back home. I'm going to bring you home to rest. Let's go bring you back now. You see, to God, we coming home is a parent, like a parent, if you just use your imagination, it's like a parent welcoming their child back home. It's like as a parent, it's like Erica, run out and do a run me an errand. And once she has completed the errand, as parents, we we look for our child to come back home. We send for them. If they've been gone too long, it's time for you to come in. So God approaches what we call death differently. If you look in the scripture, he calls it sleep. The body, that is. Because the spirit really comes back to him. So there are two homegoings for a believer. The first homegoing is when you come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That's your first homegoing. That's the first time you come home. The second time you come home, and when he says, "Well done, my good and faithful servant," it's time for you to come on up a little bit higher, because you have done your work, and now I'm bringing you home to get your reward, because it's going to be cool up here. Can you receive that? All right. That's using our spiritual imagination. <laughs> All based off that God always knew you. So in case there's anyone here, you maybe you've been told or you thought I was a mistake, I was an accident, I don't know why I'm here. God doesn't make mistakes. And he sure enough doesn't have accidents. So we're here for a reason and the reason first is is to seek him is to come back to the truth of who he is and once we return to the truth of who he is he then gives us how he then you then discover your purpose and your destiny and what god has created you to be and then when that is done he calls you back again for your eternal rest amen amen. If you can receive that, come on, let's give. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you and we praise you, God. We we thank you for this time of study, this time of reflection, a time of just pondering your word. God, help us to dig deeper, and we're asking you to bring us even greater revelation about heaven, about you, about those things that you have for us. And let us not be fearful, but look forward to that day because God, help us to just to understand that this is just a temporary assignment. So God, I just pray that anyone who is grieving you comfort their spirits right now in the name of jesus put your arms all around hold them close and let them know it's okay because you got this and one day by and by we shall all be together Let's give the lord a praise and amen as our decision counsels are coming forward